0: when two more of my colleagues left, they put in their notices and they left. It really sank in for me that this is toxic to me, this is toxic to people I've enjoyed working with and I really can't do anything about it at this point.
1: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, everybody. My name is Martin McGovern, and today we have another great quitting story to share. We have Rachel Kowalczyk, and uh, Rachel, I'm just going to introduce you based off your LinkedIn profile, and then let you introduce yourself to the community. Rachel is a data operations with a nice little uh, emoji of a present in record services at Northwestern University. Rachel, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me. Um I I dig that your podcast is such like a calming and grounding approach to the career navigation process. So Thank like you. these have been stressful times. I'm like psyched to be here in sort of like a zen space for discussion. <laughs>
1: That's great. I love that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's funny. I never thought of myself as being as Zen as a parent <laughs> on the podcast, but we'll, we'll get into it. So um, tell us a little bit about your career up to this point, leading up to your current role. Um, I'd love to just kind of get the history down before we get into the, the more detailed stories. Cool. Um,
0: well, history is a good start. My education path was in journalism with an emphasis on history. I made, I did my minor in history cause I always loved it. And also I was kind of like anti-college and yet can, like still pursued my degree. I maybe would have been an English major. Anyway, I started college like with pre-nursing left for like a gap year, came back to finish with journalism with this history emphasis, largely because I had all these like AP credits from history from high school. So, um, and then I completed my journalism degree, never like wanting to be a reporter, but I always had it in my mind to apply that more practical writing uh, training towards a, uh, a career in publishing. I really wanted to get into literary publishing. So right out of college, my first career, like my massive applying pursuits, like so many applications going out. And I was like, Doing volunteer, I was volunteering and doing really low-cost editing, copy editing and manuscript editing for various like independent authors. So I was really trying to build up my, um, my cred to get a job like at a publishing agency. And um, the job that I ended up getting, like the first real job I got out of college, was um, it was I was up for these two internships at the same time. And one was at a literary publisher. And I was like, oh, the dream, the dream. And the other was at this sustainable development company that needed like a marketing team member to help with their blog. So I was like, ooh, that's really tangential there. Mm -hmm. Internship, but it is interesting. And then the literary publishing one, and it came down to like, one was paid and one wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it was a time where I was like, I can't, I don't have the funds to be just trying for the dream at this point. So I went with the sustainable development company internship and I jumped right in as their blog editor and, um, and ran from there. Eventually the internship turned into a full-time position and it, it took me on a wild adventure, honestly, which is the quitting story I'm gonna be sharing, is that job. So that first real job, I got to do lots of editing, lots of working with writers in a way it was really exciting and fun. Um, it was very creative, a lot of research involved, a lot of like social media savvy went into that. So it was very much like a saturated media communications job. And I, I felt like I did get to apply a lot of what I had learned in journalism school and history studies to that role. Um, I came out of that really like disillusioned and kind of lost, and literally was like moving at the same time. There was this huge influx of like crazy factors in my life when I left that job. And so the next job after that was working um, at a performing arts studio as like executive assistant to the director. So like super unrelated pivot there. I worked there for a couple of years ultimately, and it was a really great experience. And then from there, I, I went on to work at Northwestern, where I am currently, and have, I've been there for the past five years. That's awesome. So all of the all of the experience kind of like fits together, but the literal job titles and industries like in no way actually like intersect.
1: Well, and that's what's so fascinating about careers right i think we we spend all this time thinking things are going to be linear that i'm going to do this and then i'm going to do this and then i'm going to do this and very often it's like i'm just gonna you know even if we think like maybe in hindsight we can start connecting some dots but a lot of times things are just happening and we're moving and we're adjusting and we're reacting and opportunities come up and we jump at them and we just end up in a new place. Um, And so it is kind of interesting to see how, like, even when we plan, a lot of times our careers happen to us rather than us happening to the careers. But this story that you're going to share with us is one where you did take some control, where you did uh, take the ownership in your career to say, you know, this isn't right. I'm going to quit. And I can't wait to hear that story. So set it up for us. What kind of work were you doing on the day to day? And uh, what did you enjoy about it? And what did you kind of not enjoy so much about that
0: role? So my day-to-day was a lot of working with contract travel writers um, who I had often recruited and hired. I guess I should should specify this job was for a startup company. And that's part of the excitement of the job. There were so many factors of excitement at this job. But working at a startup is just exciting in a way because you're... It's kind of like drink the Kool-Aid culture a little bit. You really have to be on board, yeah, with like your your coworkers and the vision and all that. Um, So my day-to-day, it was kind of like a, a pretty consistent and reliable grind of like working with writers, recruiting people, editing their stuff, giving out assignments actually publishing to the blog. So I learned on the fly, how to work with HTML script and help with like editing, website content, publishing to websites, as well as like WordPress, just blogging, so it was like just, yeah, grinding out a nine to five kind of like keep the blog going with fresh content, just supply it, edit it, keep the vision going and work with the marketing team and the company was a sustainable developer based here in Chicago where I am. And its properties were in Panama and Belize. It owned, owned like this little cool little like architectural company, owned a private island in Panama and a private island in Belize. Wow. And like, such beautiful, like pristine, amazing wild places. So yeah there was this dichotomy for for my first like for the internship portion and then the first year on the job there's this dichotomy of like i'm here in the chicago office just grinding out what is basically like a desk job but i am writing and publishing about like wild experiences and cool places the the blog was ultimately a marketing tool to try and like provide good content to guide travelers to that region and also to like steer them towards our flagship properties Um, that we're going to be like boutique hotel and like Mm -hmm. homes and stuff like that. Yeah, this dichotomy of like, I'm here tapping away in the Chicago office. And then my, my colleagues, my coworkers are often like working out of Panama. And so I'm, I'm doing a lot of like what we've been doing this year, a lot of remote conferencing with my colleagues while they're super far away. And then after a year, I got to visit the island, spend some time there, have some firsthand experiences And then after, like, into my second year, I, like, moved there and was, like, living, working out of the private island. It was pretty sweet.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, it's so funny, um, especially, I don't know, five, ten years ago, there was this huge push uh, online about, you know, millennials are much more into experiences than things. That's the big difference between them and and the other generations and things like that. And there was this huge... Push at least that I saw of like try to live abroad, try to work somewhere else. I had a ton of people. I was part of this travel community, and a bunch of people moved to Belize or moved to um, well, Costa Rica and different places like that. And so, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. Maybe that first year for you, Cheers. Was it tough, like sitting behind a desk writing about those things and not going on the trips?
0: Uh, That's a great question. Uh, It's cool that you have your own like, you know, tie into this too. It was like a cultural buzzy thing for a bit. Um, My problem with with the writing and editing about Panama and Belize before I got the chance to go there was just a lot of imposter syndrome. I was like, I, I think it drove me to research things more deeply and to seek out travel writers to work for us that were that just really had like a great perspective on things because I was I was really like diligent about it because I was really concerned that my lack of knowledge, firsthand knowledge of the area was gonna come through and provide like crappy travel guidance for people. So my role in it for that first year and a half or so was I, I stole so much from my journalism training and like what I knew about literary editing and copy editing And I just made like a really um, tight sort of like branded communication style guide that I provided to all of our writers. So kind of like there would be consistency in terms of how the voices of these people came through our publishing outfit. But like I really wanted to give them free reign to never step on toes of like how things actually were because I was super aware. I don't know. And you know, so like tell us. Um and one of these travel writers I'm like super good friends with today. so it's it's like those relationships were really fun.
1: That's awesome. And so then you moved there. Um, where Where did you live out of? Where did you get to, to live?
0: I got to live in actual employee quarters, which were just like really bare bones apartments there built because like the island was literally like a wild jungle covered island and as a sustainable development company they were like very very cautious about overdeveloping it so everything was cited and designed to be minimalist impact on the local environment so we had this like little uh quad of employee apartments and i lived there with like actual staff for the boutique hotel um and other like a few other marketing com people from like the core business unit but then also like a lot of like personnel just running the island and there's a little organic farm right around the corner from where i lived i could like walk by every day and like see what was growing and that we'd end up eating and it was like it was so cool the island itself is on the pacific side of panama so um it's just like a little boat hop off the mainland. And there are some other like small jungle covered islands around. Um, so it wasn't like super remote, I guess, in that we were like a 15 minute boat ride from the mainland, but it was like a rural um, under underdeveloped part of the mainland that we were near. Like Panama city was like a, I wanna say like an hour regional flight from where mm-hmm. we were. So yeah.
1: That's so cool. Um... And, and what were some of the things that you weren't enjoying so much about it that led to the eventual big Q, the big quit?
0: Yeah, that's the, the big question. There's like, there's the version of the quitting story that I do tell at parties and stuff. And I just kind of amp up all of the intensity of the situation for effect. And then there's there's the much more reasoned like analysis. <laughs> What was going wrong? I it's, I think of it as, like, a, a relationship. And, like, when there's, of course, like, you know, the fight that ends it all. And you're just, mm-hmm. like, over, goodbye. But there's, of course, like, a lead-up of incompatibility to that juncture. Um. So the first glimmerings of, like, oh, I might not want to stay here were, like, when I... Uh, you know that you know when you enjoy a certain degree of autonomy in your work and you're self-motivating and directing and accomplishing and then your boss starts to encroach on that and, mm-hmm. and it's like that pushback of like but wait i'm already directing myself in all these ways but now you're going to say like oh no you're going to do it this way like i guess where that when the job responsibilities change but without proper like packaging of like here's some new things I need you to do if your bosses just start kind of becoming dictators rather than co-collaborators I think that is super irksome to me maybe it doesn't bother everybody but that's when my hackles started going up about like oh maybe I'm not gonna fit in here long term um so it was like a I was on the island already. Um, I was managing blog content, and I, I got like stolen for some other responsibilities. It was like somebody needed an extended leave of absence, and they weren't being replaced. It was just kind of like their work got dumped on me.
1: And so, when that started happening, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think that irks a lot of people. And so, what were some of those? Um, when, when you you specifically said, it made me start thinking this might not be the long-term thing, right? And I'm always curious, like in your mind, when you think long-term, what does that mean? Like, is that being a lifer? Is that being like 10 years? Is that two years? Like, everyone has a different view of it. So what did that mean to you? When What was that shift? Was it like, oh, I'm going from thinking in 10-year increments to I, I got to get out in two years? Or well, what did it look like?
0: Yeah. Um... I wish I could say I had like better planning at that point. I think acknowledging that I might not want to remain here uh, and then act ultimately acting on that. It was an indicator that I hadn't really consciously thought like how long do I want to stay at this company? What is my bigger? The truth is maybe I didn't have one. And I, I was very much like, I was so deep on board with this project and kind of the the new phase of it that we were in we had just opened this boutique hotel and so yeah my responsibilities were changing but it was alongside these new developments so to a point i was kind of a like ride or die with the project because it needed to get through this really essential phase of like actually opening the first property after all this time marketing it and building it um so it was a time of great change and i had not mapped out for myself the the extent that i wanted to remain with this project i was way deep in it with that startup mentality of like we're all making this to happen together Mm -hmm. and um i think just it's such an intense high pressure situation and and there's such great potential for like group achievement when you all have such strong passion and believe in, in the company vision. But it it did become a problem for me and for some other people where we, we didn't have a strong enough sense of how we were advocating for ourselves in this job. We wanted to be part of the success, but we hadn't really, I hadn't really planned for how my success personally was going to be a part of the larger success. And, and so how to protect that. I just knew, I just knew when I started feeling like less autonomy and less um, personal power.
1: Yeah. I appreciate you kind of laying out what it feels like to work at a startup in this way. Cause it's, it's really good for folks to hear of like, one of the benefits of being at a startup is that you know, you have a lot more autonomy, because there's just too, too much to do and not enough people. And so they're not gonna hopefully micromanage you as much. But then as things started changing, and the micromanagement started to creep in, it's like, you're losing that one thing that made all this work and all this effort worth it, which was feeling Mm -hmm. like you had agency. And, you know, losing agency is something that we talk a lot about on this podcast, because whether it's a job search or an actual job you have or really anything in between, like it, it's that lack of feeling like you're in control that tends to get under people's skin over time. So what were some of were there any things that um, stood out like how how did the micromanagement look? What 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 did it actually look like on a on a regular basis?
0: It was um, it was a gradual dumping on of other people's responsibilities because there was a, a lot of attrition from the startup and people weren't getting replaced. Um, so, not only was I losing colleagues that I had enjoyed working with because they were leaving because of their own frustrations. So, there was, I think, a lot of us were experiencing being micromanaged or just undervalued, or, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, upset feelings about the way our boss was handling us and I was kind of one of the last ones left. So it was just a piling on for me personally of like other other responsibilities that I didn't feel super qualified to fulfill. Like I already explained, I, I had imposter syndrome from the beginning about wanting to represent these properties and these locations well in our content. And, and being super diligent about trying to do that. Um, so when I started, first I was given the responsibilities of the social media manager who left. So I just threw those in because it was very natural for the blog for me to just take that on and, and things were more much smoother with the blog after I had been there for a while. So it was manageable, that first one. And then our marketing manager went on this extreme uh, or extended leave of absence and me covering her responsibilities, I felt much less comfortable with that because it was a lot more top-down management that I didn't have experience with. So the anxiety arising in me was like partially like, oh, this is startup culture. We just do this. Mm-hmm. We train this. But then kind of not seeing a limit to that um, and, and being not being very young, I was very young, this is that first out of college job, so not having it in me to assert or articulate um, the scope of my abilities, partially because I loved the challenge and being able to rise to it, but then the, the anxiety around failure and leading to bad work product it was starting to balance out there. It was leading me to this point of like having to assert myself in some way. I ultimately did by quitting, but this was one of those bad situations where I was much less in control of it than I would, would be now.
1: Yeah. And I appreciate you kind of, you know, sharing those insights into the toxic-ish, I don't know, it might be too strong of a word, but the the more toxic sides of of the entrepreneur or of the startup world because i think you know the the sort of joke is is like well we we're really excited to work with you but we're a startup so we, we don't really have a ton of money and like of course we're going to pay you nothing and put you all this work in your lap and i always find that to be an interesting one cuz I'll, I'll i'll like talk with companies that have 500 600 employees and they're like but you know, we're a startup and like, I feel like at a certain point, you're all just using this uh, excuse to dump, to dump a lot of work on people for little pay. (laughs) And, and uh, in your case, it's like, it was gradual, right? It's like, oh, a little bit more, oh, a little bit more. Oh, wait, there really is no end when a company is trying to be scrappy to how much they can put on a single person. It's, it's, I appreciate you kind of opening that window a little bit. Is there anything else you want to share on that front?
0: Um, well, I think that's very well observed. Um, it, I think it's just a hallmark of toxic work culture, which, like you said, extends far beyond startups to maybe what places it doesn't belong. And just um, so in, in my case, I, yeah, that points to a good truth that valuing your employees and providing for their comfort in the positions they've built is really a good thing for bosses to be doing because I'm I might have stayed if that were happening for me, um, at that job. And um, kind of one of my main takeaways to share with your audience is that notion of like maybe we if we're gonna work for startups maybe we really need a mentor specific to that environment to help us through it. But if like you said, it's getting. It's carte blanche for, for employers to treat people how they want, being maybe overused mm-hmm. under a umbrella where it doesn't belong. Um, even more so, yeah, if, if you're working for a quote-unquote startup, you absolutely need a startup mentor.
1: And it cuts both ways, right? Because companies are saying, oh, well, you know, we're a scrappy startup, so we can't bring people on. We're like on a hiring freeze or et cetera, et cetera. So they have the built-in excuse of, of well it makes sense that we have to put all this work on a single person and then the workers are like well I chose to work at a startup so I really need to step up to the plate and I need to be able to do whatever it is they give me and, and be able to work nights and weekends and all that good stuff uh, regardless of the pay so it is a you know I, I think that there's companies that do it right companies that try to do it right but then have a hard time with it. and And the companies that maybe are a little bit malicious, but we'll we'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now. Um, So, when it came to that actual week leading up to you quitting, how long had you been thinking about it, and how did you? What was the emotional process of coming to terms with the fact that you actually wanted to move on?
0: It was a it was gradual on my part as well when two more of my colleagues left they put in their notices and they left it really sank in for me that this is toxic to me this is toxic to people i've enjoyed working with and i'm we really can't do anything about it at this point so i put in my one month notice of i'm going to be leaving in a month to my boss already and then I accelerated that after I think it was a a week later after I put in that one month notice, I all right, I, I want to like gear everyone up. This is this is the intense story. So like I was already I was working late one night in the office in base camp of the island, and I was I was proofreading menus because part of my job was to um, work with the chef each day to produce this on island collateral for the daily changing menu that this awesome chef produced. So I was like translating them. Um, we had like an English and a Spanish version and getting it set to go. So my, my as you can see, my real officey responsibilities in terms of like publishing and, and communications, they had really expanded to cover all kinds of like catch all stuff on the mm-hmm. island. So. I'm working late in the office and I got a belligerent call from my boss about where are the menus and like expletives were flying. And I was like, I'm, you know, I'm doing them right now. And so I got screamed at by uh, by my boss over the phone to bring the expletive, expletive menus to the little restaurant like now. So I finished it up as quickly as I could and like literally ran them over there and delivered them you know got out of there got away from my boss and that had not happened before so my I had been progressing towards increasing dissatisfaction with the job clearly all the people quitting and the uncertainty of the future staffing was really taxing my boss because he was not in a good way he had never yelled at me like that before And that was the night where I was like shaking. It was just so, it was so like, it was a new level of being disrespected and feeling like literally scared, you know, what's gonna happen. So that night I went back, I was kind of shaking, went back to my base camp room, like packed my bags, didn't even get all my stuff and then just like let some stuff like go, I'm just out of here. I like arranged a boat for the for dawn because like they don't go in the middle of the night so I went to like the tour manager and was like these are people I'd grown really close with I I I was crying and like arranging a boat in the middle of the night to then leave first thing at dawn so then I like grabbed all my stuff that I was taking with me and like went to the dock and in the pre-dawn was like waiting there with all my stuff like ready to go out the gate and um I think while I was waiting there at some point I had gone and like composed these messages right these like the quitting message, so it was an email. (laughs) That was like CCing my boss and all these other people, it was very dramatic, but I just like laid it out like I am leaving that this is it, this is unacceptable. Boom, and I, I did, I did make it personal about my boss because I had worked closely with uh, a local on the sales team, uh, a Panamanian girl. I, I had grown very close with her, and I felt kind of on the level of like, as a woman, um, I, I'm not going to stand to be screamed at by my superior or anything. And I, I wanted to make that part of my quitting message because. I felt like all these people cc'd on the message needed to know like our boss is in a bad way he needs some help but i can't stick around to do it he needs some more employees he needs some support through this stressful time in in the company um but i i bailed hard and so i took that i like on the dock as i'm about to return to the mainland which is the next place after the ride from the island where I had internet service. I had internet service. So I like hit send on the messages. Then I shut off my phone and like went to a mountain town for like two days, just slept. Cause I, I've been working like 50 hour weeks, you know, not around the clock for like weeks, super burned out. So I'd like slept for two days with my phone off, turn it on after two days and like notifications galore i laid low there in this mountain town for like 2 weeks just in this beautiful hostel like eating pancakes and like actually working behind the bar in the hostel as part of my like stay arrangements until i got back on my feet um i and by the end of those um 2 weeks i was you know putting out more applications and stuff trying to make my next plans it was super, super intense.
1: Good for you. That's that's a real intense story, especially because you had already put in your notice only to then, you know, get hit with another round of like, okay, not not acceptable. Um, I really appreciate you saying this person like you had a little bit of empathy for the boss. This person needs help. Clearly they're going through a lot, but it's not my responsibility to be their punching bag. And I think that's a really important thing to say. It's like, you know, so often, especially if you're, you know, at all empathetic, you know, you you want to help. You want to keep helping. And I think a lot of people will put up with an incredible amount of abuse in order to be helpful, or they might internalize it in a certain way, like, well, maybe I caused that or anything like that. And really at the end of the day, it's it is not your responsibility to fix someone else's issues unless they're paying you to do it. I guess, but <laughs> like, but it sounds like they're dumping so much more than what you originally agreed to in your contract, and they're they're putting you in positions where you can't succeed, and that's that's definitely not a good place. So, I, kudos to you for getting out of there and like literally getting out of there, not just you know turning to a coworker or something but like actually moving on so (laughs) that's that's a crazy
0: story thanks thank you for that those those are the for sure the salient points of that episode is kind of like keep ensuring that your employer is investing in you because you should get something out of your job and if you're no longer getting something out of your job you should and furthermore if like If the company is really taking a a tailspin you certainly can't fix that and obviously like you're not you're not going to reap any benefits going into this tailspin with this company.
1: And that's another thing it's um you know there's a lot of employers that are like how come my employees don't work as hard as me well because they're your employees (laughs) and they don't get ownership in the company and any number of other reasons why they shouldn't be as invested as you are and things like that. So I think there's a lot to be said there, of being able to stand up for yourself and, you know, especially like you said, there are weird power dynamics between bosses and um, you know, the people that report to them. There's also weird power dynamics between men and women. There's all sorts of strange stuff that happens in these workplaces. Is there anything that like what, What would be your big takeaway from this as you look at the rest of your career? How has it shaped the way that you've acted in future roles?
0: It has driven home for me the importance of having a mentor for your career and and diligently checking in with that person because that holds you accountable not only to actually nurturing a vision for your own career and not just going along for the ride wherever you get hired but it keeps you accountable to someone else in the industry. And it also creates a failure structure where their their past mistakes can inform you. And it just makes it a more comfortable atmosphere to talk about messing up, um, to know that it's okay and not not stick around in a job just because you think it's it's a failure if you leave it or something like that. Um, So keeping things in perspective, yeah, I think a mentor has been key because I was very much like prey to um, just seeking out kind of adventure in my career choices early on Um, and the the repercussions of that in my career trajectory haven't been terrible but that, that has led to some of the like hiccups I would say just I was I was in a way after adventure, but I had to realize the hard way, the importance of having something steady that answers a little bit more of your need to be to accomplish work purposefully in the world and just also to get paid a, a fair wage that you know covers your bases.
1: That makes sense. And when it comes to um, the reaction of your coworkers and, and your boss, did you get any? uh, support or pushback from people, from people?
0: Um, I was really close with everyone who had left there in succession before me. So I was, I felt supported in my decision to leave. They, they had all done the same and some of us have remained close through the years. Cause it was such just like, like a huge work experience for all of us. It was like a little bit like, um, like a cult dynamic. As I think you can imagine, like a lot of um, startups lend themselves to a little a little bit more of that culty dynamic. So yeah, leaving it was a good decision for me and these other people. Um, but we do cherish that wild experience that we had too. It taught us a lot about ourselves and about what we wanna do in the world. Um, so I did feel super supported leaving. And my actual, my next job right after that, I was immediately applying so much of what I learned, like working for, I did pivot into being a second in command to this studio director for a performing arts studio. Um, And I, I did feel like I had a lot of, I had done so much wrong with my like toxic boss that I was much better able to advocate for myself in that next job and to have much healthier, frequent like communication about how, how this job is suiting me, what else I need, that, it was an immediate like flip into the opposite situation with, with my successing, succeeding job that I had.
1: Yeah, getting ahead of the situation, so you don't <laughs> get in the, and hey, sometimes we need those rough, those rough goes to learn those lessons, um, and I appreciate you mentioning two other things. One is, Uh, it's kind of that partners in crime or war buddies, right? You go through this crazy experience together and you come out the other end and you're like, well, we'll be friends for life because that was absolutely crazy, Uh, which is a really interesting work friendship uh, that happens a lot and uh, it hasn't really come up on the podcast before. So I always find that to be really fun uh, to talk about, but also the idea of the culty side of startups. I think that you know, we kind of touched on the toxicity, but the toxicity kind of gets wrapped up in this. And and your job was even more so lifestyle-like changing than most, right? Because, you know, most people, when they think of, you know, their life being absorbed by a startup, it's, oh, it's just a lot of hours. I'm at the office a lot, or I'm working at home or on the weekends. But when you actually go live in a new place, like where everything, like you go home and you're you're technically still at work because they own the building. Right. And that level of like lifestyle. um, A lot of people look at it as, you know, well, I, there's sunk cost, so I need to stay here or there's all these other things. And, and sometimes when, when you're in this position, startups understand it and they'll always use words like we're family or, um, you know, we, we're going to look out for you. And, and I made this comic, Uh, a few months back, a comic strip that was like, uh, I can't, I'll not remember the rhyme off the top of my head, but basically it's like been working here for 40 years. They said they had my back. And then uh, at the end they told me I needed to pack or something like that. And that, that idea of like how companies build that cult-like environment. I'm curious if there's anything you noticed while you were working at at your startup. that played into that? Was there any, like, what were the most cult-esque aspects of it that folks should look out for?
0: Well, I was a little guilty of it myself. Um, I think I was just pre, maybe that's why I ended up in that job in the first place. I was maybe a little predisposed to thinking that was an essential aspect, uh, like a component of having passion for your work was to feel that strongly about the company's vision. Because as I mentioned before, I made like this style guide of like voice, you know, branding for the blog for my contract writers when I kicked things off um, in my internship. So I think I did have a sense that like it's healthy, but like in other employers that I've had, you get that, you get that from something external from your immediate responsibilities. So I think belonging and, and deep belief in the mission and vision of your organization is really important and feeling connected and like on the same page with other people in sort of a work culture is really important, but it's it's gotta be accessory to the core of what you do. It's gotta be more like a club or a subcommittee or something that you show up as in an extracurricular way to just congregate and be amongst your colleagues and develop camaraderie in that sense. And it shouldn't be directly tied to everything you do because that just lends like a a level of anxiety, like, oh, am I I gonna mess up the branding if I do this or that? And it can't be that tightly controlled. So I really appreciate work environments I've been since where um, we we as a work culture develop that sense of camaraderie and belonging. you know, maybe around some of our interests or just like convening, to, uh, talking about current events, you know, a little more external to what our exact industry. we got to have that room to like breathe and breathe and dream and like think bigger. That's when other, that's when everyone's ideas in the organization start to have a place and a voice. And it's, it's not so like, it's gotta be directly from the boss that's dictated. Mm-hmm what we think or feel. It should be a richer, um, a richer mix. So in my current job, I have, um, I started like a little art as stress relief club and and had that going um, as sort of one of those environments. And it's to the credit of, of my current employer, Northwestern, that their talent development department is very like amenable to staff, just kind of like coming up with stuff like that, creating little clubs and subcommittees and stuff like that to connect with people so they have a department oriented around those kind of like HR things to have a strong HR presence in a startup there's that excuse of like we're too small we wear too many hats we don't have the the bandwidth for that but it's really important
1: yeah yeah it's definitely important it's it's always interesting to you know listen to again I think a lot of people have good intentions, but at the end of the day, it's like, "Mm, yeah, your, your, you know, employees should be invested in the product, but also they should have lives and, and yes, they should care about what's going on with the company and and want to make the company richer and better and and grow faster, but they should also want themselves to grow and, and potentially grow beyond the company. I always love the companies that kind of know you're going to leave someday, they, they don't expect that you're going to be a lifer. They're like, well, of course you're going to get a better job at some point. And then they actually have a healthy view of, you know, training you or giving you the ability to, the number of people that are scared to post on LinkedIn because their manager might see it blows my mind. And that always, that always kind of hurts me when I hear people say that. of like, oh, well, I'm looking for a job, but I really don't want my manager to know. So how do I job search secretly? And it's like, secretly, I don't know. <laughs> it's so much harder.
0: It's such a thing. I know that is such a thing. Uh, uh, maybe it's a Midwestern thing more more so. I don't know. Maybe.
1: It, it could be, but I, I think it's just a general fear thing. And, and we're, you know, we're taught growing up to like fear authority and to uh, not confront people. Like literally we're taught not to push back. And then we get into these roles that are bad and we don't know how to do those things. And so sometimes, and this is why I think it's so great that you're coming on the show and sharing your quitting story. And, you know, I I know for myself, when, when I was trying to quit my first job out of college, I was told I was committing career suicide. And then my buddy was like, dude, you're 23. How the hell are you not gonna find another job at the, in the next 60 years? Like that <laughs> level of like fear exists because of how maybe it is midwestern but it's it's kind of ingrained in folks in a way to control them and and that uh unfortunately needs to be overcome to have a a solid career at some point
0: yeah i like that um that a company should have that in mind that it's it's people are going to move on and sort of cherish their right to and that that's healthy yeah it made me think you were saying that it made me think of a the Town. have you seen this
1: oh years and years ago with Kirsten Dunst
0: yes and Orlando Bloom right yes yeah he, career suicide triggered a memory of the words career suicide triggered a memory of that because this is literally a guy who like so he messes up in his job so badly that he goes straight home and like starts thinking of how he's going to kill himself oh wow yeah, it was just like a big career failure. And just that's such a like tunnel vision thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's no, it's not the end. It's, you're young, you're young and people make mistakes. And yeah.
1: And I think that just plays into having, having things outside of work, having other hobbies, having other interests, having other friends, um, you know, a lot of people meet their significant others at work, all their friends at work, all their interests at work, all their hobbies at work. And at a certain point, you know, I'll, they come to me and then I go, so what are you doing to network? Well, everyone I know is at my company. Okay. What are you doing to build your brand? I'm not allowed to post. What do you, it's like, it, you almost get trapped in this, like, and, and in the companies that I used to work at, they even had campuses that you went to. Right. So like Everywhere I ate was on the company. You know? It was like, and so that kind of stuff. It, it's um, it's an interesting world we live in. But I I really appreciate you sharing that story because it just goes to show that like, yeah, you can just get a boat in the middle of the night and leave. <laughs> you know, you can move on. It, you don't have to stay. Especially, you know, a lot of people will also say, "Well, I already put in my notice. I'll just wait it out." No. No, you have control, you have agency, and if you're not feeling respected, it needs to be addressed, and so kudos yeah. to you.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, the state of mind that you can be in about your work is, is important, mm-hmm. so if it's good, you do like take action, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and it's important to the company. They'll get much better work out of people if those people don't mm-hmm. feel scared and trapped, um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that that's great. And so, what are you doing now? What what's happened since then? And what do you enjoy most about your work today?
0: Um, currently, I'm working for Northwestern University in their Gift and record Services department. Um, so we're approaching a really busy time of year, even though it's been such a difficult year with the pandemic and the economy and all of the uncertainty. Um, the gifts into Northwestern that we process the gifts and we retain those uh, those relationships with constituents and the, the whole university community it's essentially the record keeping department that also processes gifts so. Um, it's really busy in the upcoming time of year and we're all kind of like my whole office is kind of gearing up for that surge. And we, so that, that feeling that I did enjoy from startup culture of really being part of like a, a community, a close-knit community, I still get that within my little department at Northwestern. Um, I think I'm just gravitating, t- I gravitate towards like work family, um, a work family feel. So my little unit in Northwestern kind of operates that way. And I, I do like an, um, the level of detail and that it ultimately comes down to relationships again um around like protecting people's information protecting their relationship with the university having it be a a healthy one um, if they want to give if they want to interact volunteer it's for alumni it's for donors it's for everyone who is part of this big northwestern family um so i get a lot of what i enjoy from past good job experiences in, in my current work. And it's also something really stable that like occupies my mind and it fulfills that deep need that I have to like know that I'm doing purposeful work. I really believe in so much of like the research that Northwest Western does and the kind of education they try to provide. And so I'm still drinking the company Kool-Aid but not for a startup. This one's giving me benefits and I have a healthy work culture. So, you know, you can't, you can't change some of these like propensities that I have to just go towards maybe a problematic or toxic approach to my work, but I'm just a a passionate person. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to try and find healthy channels for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so happy for you because that that level of self-awareness helps regardless of how it all goes. And, and having gone through this quitting experience, you now know you can quit again, if anything ever gets that toxic in the future so Rachel thank you so much for being on the podcast today I really appreciate you sharing your insights and your story and it was really nice digging into some of the you know toxic sides of startups I think that's an important topic for people to hear because they're still very exciting places that a lot of people want to work at and it's not bad to work there you can get a lot of great experience but you just need to know what you're getting into Um, so thank you for joining us today
0: Oh, thank you. That um, It's really great that you're empowering people to be like the narrator in their own career story. And I just, I think that's part of, you know, like a better world, just happier people doing better work. Like what's not to love about that?
1: And Rachel, if people want to find more about the work you're doing, where can they find you?
0: Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Rachel Kowalczyk on Lincoln, LinkedIn. And um, other than that, I'm not super social. I don't really have any uh handles. Maybe Instagram. I have I, uh, I have an Instagram. I can, you can link it if you want. Well, go Hunter um,
1: down on Instagram if you want, but definitely find her <laughs> on LinkedIn. And thank you so much for joining us today.
0: It's been an honor. Thank you so much. You got it. Have
1: a great rest of your evening. You too. Thanks so much for stopping by this episode of the Career Therapy Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. And if you're curious about what we do here at Career Therapy, head on over to www.careertherapy.com to see all of our coaching options, resources, and links to other things we got going on. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, something that you've gone through a transition you've experienced in your career, whether it's getting a job after college or going through a layoff or getting back into the workforce after raising your family, we would love to hear from you. Head over to linkedin.com slash in slash martin mcgovern and shoot me a DM. Let me know what's going on, and I'd really like to share your story with the world. What we're trying to do here is really normalize the emotional side of the job search because we all go through it. We all have tough times in our careers, And sharing these stories really helps people feel less alone and feel more empowered to take their career back into their own hands and make something of it. So thank you again for stopping by. If you'd like to leave a like or a comment, subscribe or share, or leave us a review on iTunes, and I think maybe even Spotify, we'd really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in all of your career endeavors, and I'll see you on the next episode.